Let's get into the word today. I want to move on into the word. We'll take tithes and offerings at the end of service. Is that all right? But I feel the presence of God, and I want to use his presence in order to preach this message. Amen. While my heart is is definitely um, grieving the loss of my mother and um, what my aunt is going through and what Aunt Belle is going through, all we could do is lift them in prayer. She's at her bedside as we speak. Amen. Amen. She wanted to make sure it was all right to miss church, to be there. I said, that is exactly where you need to be. <laughs> hey, Harmony. Hey, cuz. Come on up. Come on up. We love you. Come on and tell her you love her. Come on. That's what it means when you got to lift the family up now. Come on, y'all supposed to know better than this. We love you. It's tough. Amen. So this year our theme has been um, becoming the royal priesthood. Um, but not according to the Levites, but according to the order of Melchizedek. A priestly order we've been studying all year that was prior to the Levitical priesthood, prior to Aaron and the Levites and the sacrificing of lambs, where this Melchizedekian priest was king, prophet, and priest. Thank you. I was like, this priest was king, king, prophet, and priest. Amen. And all three offices that were necessary to lead a people um, by the hand of God were met in one person. And not only that, but this one person not only led the people of God, but they became, by, by nature, a world leader. And they governed the entire world. And we see this early on when Abraham paid tithes to the Melchizedekian priest, the prince of peace. And this has been seen over and over and over again and then expounded upon in Hebrews. And, and what we came to realize in our last series is that we know about being a prophet. We know what it feels like and how we long to be kings sitting on top of the world, you know, in God's kingdom and la, 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 la. But very few of us have been trained in what it means to be a priest. What it means to walk in a priestly anointing. And this is tragic because this is the, the position that we are supposed to occupy. Because when the Melchizedekian priest came, and Abraham offered a tenth of his tithe to the Melchizedekian priest, they actually had a covenant together of bread and wine. So when Christ comes, and on the day of Passover, uh, before he is uh, resurrected, uh, murdered, and then resurrected, he participates in the Passover with a breaking covenant, breaking bread as a covenant to his apostles, his disciples. Take this bread Take this blood. This is my body. And all of a sudden, the priesthood is then given from Christ to those that remain. And the tragedy of a New Testament church and a modern American church is that we focus so much on the king part, the prosperous part, the ruling part. The declaring part. We focus so much on the prophecy part. Hello, somebody. The what is God doing part. The what is the revelation part. But nobody wants to focus on what we were actually called to do. That we struck covenant to do. And that was to become to be the royal priest. So once we took covenant for almost a month, two months. I don't know how many months we took covenant. But we took the bread and the supper and communion uh, for many, many months as we studied the entire book of Hebrews. 
So we understood, okay, so now we are called to be that royal priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. When Christ will eventually come and be ruler of all, sit on earth, and we will rule and reign with him. That's when the kingship part starts. Not now. Then. How could we rule before he actually comes and sits to rule? Till then, he rules in the heavens and the earth, but through mankind. That's the method he chose. Until his enemies are made what? His footstool. Does that make sense? It's a sifting. It's a separating. So that when he comes to show up, we're going to know exactly who's who. Who's with God and who's not. That's just the way it works. And life does a very good job of sifting out those who don't belong to God. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So we've been studying the book of Acts. Uh, and our, our series title now is the Acts of the Saints. And we will discover the Acts of the Saints from the book of Acts. A uh, duh, right? And the book of Acts reveals once the disciples struck communion with the Father and physically manifested a covenant agreement, that we begin to notice exactly how did they live? What did they do moving forward? Now, the tragedy of a New Testament church in America is that we have to take what they did and try to refinagle it to be more like what we got going on. Rather than doing what they did. Hello, somebody. We, 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 you don't want us to do this. But certainly this is like that. And then we become comfortable in what we feel is like that. Because we don't have the wherewithal to actually do that. We don't have the, the gunction, the passion, the drive. And I know it because I read what they did and go, I, how? you just, you just going to rejoice in that? That's what you're going to do? I would not be rejoicing. I'd be very upset. <laughs> so how did they get that? How did they get to the point where they could be persecuted, beaten? Because you let one person just look at me wrong, I'm, I'm, in, a tizzy. I'm in a tizzy. Oh, you just going, oh, you just going, oh. <laughs> I'm not even thinking godly. I'm not thinking I'm, I'm suffering for God. I, I'm, not, I'm not thinking, oh, the Walmart cashier is really, you know, persecuting me. I'm thinking, you are something else. You are something else. I'm not out here risking everything, putting it all on the line. As a matter of fact, I'm trying to, you know, live so that people can see. Like, hey, I'll just do my thing. And then when you look over here, then you'll recognize, ah, it's God. Because what I'm not going to do is go out here on this corner and start making a fool of myself. I, I mean, let's just be real. I need to figure out a way to do this in an acceptable form. Ah, uh, y'all don't want to play fair today. When you first got saved, that's not how you felt. Mmm, Interesting. But something has happened along the way where now Christianity has to be made comfortable in order for you to actually do it. 
And anything that is uncomfortable in Christianity, anything that costs you more than what you prefer to give up must be wrong. And we intrinsically start rearranging it as to how that is not the will of God. Surely this can't be what God wants for me. And we can find scripture. Examples. What I think is hilarious is we look at Bible stories and subconsciously we think that everybody in the Bible that did wrong somehow did right. Like we'll look at Abraham lying and be like, see, Abraham did it. And since he's Abraham, y'all don't want to play fair today. Since he's Abraham and it's recorded, then it, then it must be right. It must be okay. It must be acceptable. Ain't nobody told you to look at wrongdoing that has been documented and somehow conjure up how wrongdoing is okay. Everybody in here ain't got a stellar report and everybody in here ain't done great. Come on, somebody. But the joy is that just because I made a mistake, I'm not defined by my mistake. Just because I didn't handle a situation right, what I've been saved from is the idea that my whole life is not based off of that. Everything Abraham did wasn't right. Everything Moses did wasn't right. David, Peter, James, John. But when we want to do wrong, we look at what they did wrong and say, okay, I guess it's acceptable. Then you get to some gory detail of, of the prophet who cut his concubine up into many pieces. You're trying to over-spiritualize what this, it doesn't matter what it means. That was horrible. What we should see is the degradation of the people of God. Not necessarily how this is acceptable. So you have to realize that you read into the Bible. Come on, somebody. What it is you desire to do. Come on, y'all don't want to play fair today. You start using examples and consciously and subconsciously, you think that this was a mighty man of God and this was a mighty one of God, that everything they did was right. Come on, somebody. But just because they have a great testimony in God, that's his business. That's his business. But they just mere humans like the rest of us. I'm glad we could clear that up. So you can stop looking at these folk that do dirt in the Bible and use it to explain away some of your ulterior motives. Because it's God who determines, his sovereignty and providence determines whether your life will be based off, upon, based off of what you did wrong or the one thing that you got right with him. And so many people are afraid that their life, do you know the pain of being at the bedside of someone who's overly concerned that all their mistakes will define them and not their goodness in God. That they had so many mistakes along the way that the concern is people will look back at my life and that's all they will see is what I did wrong. Come on somebody. But the joy of the saving grace and mercy of God is that even though I made a lot of mistakes, come on, somebody, even though I made a ton of no-nos, I did a ton of bad things, I went wrong and awry a ton of ways, let me tell you about the mercy of God, that he did not allow that to be defined by my entire purpose. 
That's a man of God and a woman of God. They made mistakes, but that's a man of God. Come on, somebody. She made mistakes, but that's a woman of God. Come on, somebody. He didn't get it right, but that's a woman of God. He didn't get, she didn't get it right, but that's a man of God. You understand what I'm saying. The solace is that he gets the last word and not your life. Amen? Amen. So we could take comfort in that. Today we're on the Acts of the Saints, part four. And I'd like to entitle this as we hurry along today. It's God or nothing. It's God or nothing. Easier said than done. Easier felt than performed. (laughs) And as a pastor, I'm telling you, just as hard as it is for you to see yourself actually living like that every day, it is hard for me to see myself pastoring you to live that way every day. Because I can preach my back out any given Sunday. And before nightfall on that same evening, hello, somebody, you already worried about how you're going to turn up. You're already worried about how you're going to smoke a couple joints, get a couple drinks, call your booth thing. Hello. I mean, it don't even, it don't even matter. So we equally concerned. I'm here to lie to you. <laughs> You've made me very worried. <laughs> your inability to maintain the presence of God in your life on a consistent basis worries me. Should I be comfortable in that? No. The fact that you are even more worrisome. <laughs> and you think this is a part of normal life for a believer. The acts of the saints prove otherwise. Hello, somebody. I'm, I'm already in it, huh? I'm already in it. I'm already in it. It's crazy how you can feel the presence of God and his power and strength to do right in this moment. I mean, in yourself, you're like, you know what? When I leave here, I'm about to do everything godly. I'm about to listen to all the worship music. I'm about to go to the grocery store. I'm going to start preaching to people at the grocery store. I'm going to start buying people gas randomly. I'm going to start living this life. And as soon as you get out there, where'd it go? Where did it go? Ah, I don't even know what I was planning on doing. How did I have a good intention? Hello, how did I have a good intention? How did I have a good intention? How did I feel so much passion about my good intention? And just moments later, it just evaporates from my heart. The Acts of the Saints shows that. Hello? They show us the penalty of other things besides God. And they show us the reward of God or nothing. Let's take a look. Let's pick up from where we left off last week, Acts chapter 4, verse 21 through 22. Acts chapter 4. So, (laughs) 
Picking up at Acts chapter 4, we remember that there was a man at the gate called Beautiful that was healed. He couldn't walk. He was begging for money. And he, he couldn't get himself up. And he, he asked uh, John and Peter to give him some money. They said, silver and gold, I have not. But what I do have is the name of Jesus, get up and rise. He got up, he rose, he rejoiced, leaping, hugging Peter and John as they walked into the temple, something he had never been able to do before. Walked into the temple. Uh, people began to wonder and ask questions. Peter began to preach and 5,000 souls were saved. Right? At this moment, Peter and, and John were apprehended by the high priest, a Sadducee. That's where we'll pick up at chapter 4, verse 5. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Ananias, uh, the high priest, and Syaphis, John, and Alexander, and as many were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked them, by what power or by what name have you done this? And this is from last week. So the elders and the religious leaders of their day brought them in to say, whose name are you doing this in? And flat-footed, they say, in the name of Jesus, the one that you crucified. That Pontius Pilate and Caesar wanted to release him, but you wouldn't let him go. You put him to shame. You put him to death. And, and, and he rose up from the dead. And this man walking is done in his name, by his power, the one that you crucified, the one that rose from the dead, the one that has just ascended to heaven. It's by his name. This is a big deal. Because most humans would have took that credit. Like it's, 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 you know, it's because you were wrong and God is right. And I just so happen to know him. So you better, you know, obey me. He said, oh, ain't got nothing to do with us. This was done in the name of Jesus. This power that you see that has gotten this man up came from the one you crucified. See, it'd be different if you just tell me you crucified the Christ. But he rose from the dead. Huh. Okay, you say so, weirdo. I mean, that's pretty much the response. If you say so, crazy person. So you saw him raise up from the dead, poor grief-stricken disciple. That's pretty much the response you'll get a lot of. But when you heal a man that has been lame from birth and is over 40 years old that you yourself have seen every day you go into temple sitting out here begging for alms every single day and you see him walking and they tell you that the reason he's walking is because of the name of the man that you crucified first and foremost oh no and i know humans because i am one we can instantaneously reach for justification of fault about how we could not have done that terrible thing that you are trying to insinuate that I have done. And it can happen so fast. We come up with so many things, so many lies, so many, well, uh-uh, because I didn't even, uh-uh, because I really wasn't, uh-uh. And, it just, and you don't even know how, it, ultimately it's from one thing, trying to protect the idea that you really messed up. Because if I'm faced with this truth, 
that his name has power after we crucified him, that then I'm also faced with the realization that he really did raise from the dead, which means that he really did ascend to heaven, which means that he, because you said his name and he got up. And if you said his name and he got up, then that means that Jesus got up himself. And if he got up himself, then he's the son of man. He's the son of God. What? Did I miss it? You mean all this time I've been hearing about the name of Jesus, the Jesus of Nazareth, and I've been letting it be a political issue. I messed around and missed actually participating in the greatest move creation has ever seen. See, this is this is more than come to Jesus. This is I have messed up so bad. I've missed a poignant opportunity in all of the world. There are times in, in time and in history where God's finger is not just one. His whole hand is in the earth. And God can bring you to a place to be a participant of what God is doing. But you will overthink and underthink and, and all of your selfish desires will creep in in such a way that now you can't even see the mightiest move of God right before you. Not only can you see it, but you don't participate in it. And then when you don't participate in it, then you somehow try to sabotage it. Somehow got to bring it down. Somehow got to get somebody else to go drinking with you. Got to get somebody else to go smoking with you. Got to get somebody else to go buy this vape with you. And no, you need to go ahead and call him up for yourself. And you need to go ahead and get that number for yourself. Oh, now everybody else got to participate in nothing but your spiral. I'm, I'm just being honest. If I'm a spiral, I can't spiral with you. Because what if this is not what God has for my life? See, I know you convince yourself that vaping is fine for you. You convince yourself to smoke a little weed here and there is fine for you. You convince yourself that drinking here and there is fine for you, sexing a little bit, pornography a little bit, whatever it is. You've already convinced yourself that in moderation is good for you. But what if you are wrong and it's not good for you and it certainly isn't good for the other person? You barely know you. I know you don't know what's good for them. Hello, somebody. When my spirals started taking members of my church and they started spiraling with me, I got on meds. I fasted and said, I'm not going to use no, no self-medications. And eventually, when that didn't work and I got diagnosed with chronic depression, I had to get on medicine. Because yeah. what I'm not going to do is take any of my saints that are already struggling to live holy down with me. Because of my grief. You ain't in the seat I'm in. You got to get up. You got to move forward. You got to walk hard and tall. Come on, somebody. You can't sit down here with me. Just come visit me for a second. I'll get up eventually, but you need to maintain your strength in God. Yeah. Amen. Amen. The tragedy is, tragedy is that when the head go, the body go. So I had no choice but to get up and get up quickly. People say, Pastor, why don't you take a year off? Do you see you? I'm a year on and you messing up. Come on, somebody. I've been here. You've been under my nose and you messing up. What you mean why I ain't take a year off? You the reason why I ain't take a year off. And what you need to do is start thanking God that somebody else was willing to lay down their life while you try to get your bearings straight with God. It rendered to me my honor and blessings. 
Surrender to me my respect. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let me tell you what, let me tell you the trick about this. You worried about me living. I'm worried about you spiritually. Between the two of us, who do you think is fine spiritually? What you worried about this flesh for when this heart is trying to make sure you're going to be spiritually okay. If this heart given to me by God wants to make sure that you're spiritually okay, then this body has no choice but to respond. For two weeks now, or I don't know how long, but we definitely picked up on it when I had some blood clots coming out my nose and a, a nosebleed. My blood pressure was way too high. And so, you know, the nurses and the doctors in the house have been on my case. But your blood pressure, your blood pressure, your blood pressure. You can't keep going like this. We check it and we check it. It's just too high, too high. And I know what it is. It's everything I got going on. It's everything. It's my mom. It's my aunt now. It's the house. It's the move. It's everything. It's everything. It's the church. It's everything. It's the exhaustion, the fatigue, right? It's my members. Y'all think because I'm... I got hypertension that y'all problems stop. They don't. And while you don't mean to add to my plate, it's already on my plate. You're not telling me it ain't going to stop me from feeling it. Hello, somebody. We connected. We, you in here. You was in here. Right? They said, Pastor, you got to go to urgent care. And I called the doctor. The doctor gave me no, no, no notification of what I need to do. No, he ain't got it right. You need to go anyway. <laughs> All right. I'm pretty sure it's going to be fine. No, you need to go before the weekend. Now, I know in my mind, if I go on Saturday and they keep me, who's going to be on here on Sunday? And is this the timing that God would have me to be out? So I use wisdom to appease their fears that I'm not going to have a heart attack, and I go to the urgent care. Blood pressure, normal. For the first time in days and weeks, absolutely normal. They was like, you can go. I was like, I tried to explain to fleshly people how spiritual things work. Baby, I got a job to do. Do you hear me telling you I'm going to be all right? I'm going to be all right. This is not the time that God has me to be sick. I didn't get COVID. When you got COVID, I still moved this house. My aunt is in the hospital. I got sheep on the borderline of deliverance. This is not time for me to sit down. Can't you tell that already? Look at this man that came to church. It ain't time for me to have to be here. It was so normal. They said, well, maybe your blood pressure cuff at home is wrong. <laughs> so the nurse went to the house and checked that. Oh, it was right. Because the blood pressure was still normal-ish. Right? Uh, it's something about when you know it's God or nothing, that everything in your being has to bow itself to what God wants to do. Now you can act up all week long, blood pressure. You can act up while I unpack my house. You can act 
up with my neighbors. You can act up with my family. But let me tell you one good thing. When it comes to what God wants me to do, it's God or nothing. And my body said, you know what? She's a crazy fool. She will pull us and drag us to whatever God has for her to do. So we might as well get right because she ain't going to stop. They said, Pastor, I'm so sorry you're sick. I said, I don't care about the sickness. I don't feel that bad. I'm just tired. <laughs> what I don't like is the fact that when I want to do something, I can't. And they said, what you mean? I said, I'm used to running this body. And right now, this body is running me. That's not how I roll. My insides, with the spirit of God, we run this body. We tell this body to work out, what to eat, what not to eat, when to sit, when to stand. We even tell it when to sleep. It could cry and complain. We don't have enough sleep. You better wake up today. It's 7.30 in the morning. It's time to get up. We ain't got no time. I tell this body what to do. See, y'all don't know what it's like because your body may tell you what to do so often that you can't fathom how you could be separate from your physical body. You can't fathom. And if by chance my body won't obey, oh, don't even worry. I've got a master on the inside. And I'm going to let you win it and I'm going to lay down right now. And I'm going to lay down tomorrow and I'm going to lay down for a minute. But as soon as God calls me to do something, you better get up. You better straighten up and you better act right. Sit on down. You guys get too much of your identity from your physical flesh. From how you look, how you feel. Too much of who you are is wrapped up in, in a tent, in a coat, in a vessel. This body doesn't tell me who I am. This body is designed to tell you who I am. Can you see your own face right now? Can, can you see your face? You got eyes, but you can't see your face. Your face is not for you. Your face and its uniqueness is for me. Somebody was slow to the catch on that. They was like, what? your identity, your physical identity is not for you to know yourself. Your physical identity is for others to know who you are. So you done made your identity about what your body tells you. I'm horny, so I need to be married. Hello, somebody. I'm hungry, so I need to eat. I'm sleepy, so I need to go to bed. See, I have an identity separate from this body. Y'all don't want to play fair today. I know I, I, need, I am sleepy, but I can't sleep. I am hungry. Come on, somebody. But I can't eat. Come on, somebody. I am tired, but I can't sit down. I'm exhausted, but I can't stop. Come on, somebody. Because I am not this body. This body is for you. Christ said, this, take this body. It is for you. I'm not this body. This body was for you. It's for you to identify me. As God, this body was for you. It has nothing to do with my identity. Hence, he rose from the dead. And everything about his body had to line up and get straight for what God wanted to. Amen. 
Come on now, Pastor Sharon, you got to, I hope you're listening somewhere. Come on, somebody. I hope you can hear it. When it's God, baby, it's God or nothing. And everything about your body got to line up for whatever God wants to do. That's it. Don't matter how dead. It can be dead, 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 completely dead. Can't be re- dead, dead, dead. And when God say, I'm not done yet, it's up, 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 up. I got to convince Mama Jean every day. I'm old. Yeah, 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 whatever. I'm too old to do pure bar. No, you're not. Tell them knees to get up. Tell that back to sit up straight. And every day it's a challenge and remind her, nah, you tell this body what you want it to do because God ain't done with you yet. Come on, somebody. It ain't time for you to fold your arms. He ain't done with you yet. Come on, get some strength in these limbs. Get some movement in that cartilage. Come on, somebody. Uh-uh, he ain't done with me yet. I don't know how I got over there. I don't know how I got over there. I was just supposed to be over there, apparently. Amen. You give too much credence to your body. And your physical body has hormones that give you intangible feelings. So thus your body, if you identify with yourself through your body, then thus you identify through every hormone it sends coursing through your veins. And you don't know how to separate that from who you really are. So if you feel hot and horny, it is so overwhelming to your identity that you can't even fathom how other people are living holy. You can't even see how it is possible. Like everybody must slip up every once in a while. This is my slip up time. Then you start finding examples in the Bible. Ooh, how the mighty have fallen. How the mighty have fallen. Come on now. Where was that? Chapter four. <laughs> Everybody need a little something, something every once and again. You can't even fathom how you're supposed to live God or nothing. See, see, see how that's connected? You can't even fathom God or nothing. Like, I'm not supposed to care about nothing else but God. That can't be right. Acts of the Saints, chapter 4. Here we go. So they captured them. They arrested them. They, for, they didn't want to um, beat them up too much because the people saw the power of God. They saw the power of God in raising that lame man up. So they didn't know what to do with him. They didn't know what to do with John and Peter. Because everybody could clearly see that this was a miracle. And when asked, how did it happen? They said it was from Jesus. 
which is a notable claim that saved 5,000 the day before. So now the Jewish elite, the scribes and the leaders and the elders are thinking, if we harm them right now, it will be an outrage because all they did was good. They haven't done anything wrong. So now we've got to create something that they can do wrong so that we can say that they're wrong. So we're going to tell you, don't preach that name Jesus. Now, you have no authority to tell me not to preach the name Jesus. Come on, somebody. Because I deal with enemies like that. They try to give you rules. Hello? Because they think that you're supposed to do what they want you to do. Hello, somebody. So then they make rules for me. I don't know. I got neighbors that try to make rules for me. Don't cut that tree down, and you can't do this, and you can't do that. And I, and I had to tell them, I said, okay, well, I'll look into it. No, you need to stop right now. Who are you? It's my property. It's my land. I do what I want to do with it. Can't park your car there. That's my land. I'm going to call the people. Call the people. People like to create rules. When all you do is good. Come on, somebody. When they can't find where you did wrong, then they create something that you have to then sin by them. Hello? Now they got to create something you did wrong, and all you did was right. Say less. If I. You, you, don't, you, don't, you don't know the power of God. If you did, you'd calm down. You'd really calm down. Now, everybody say they're a believer, but trust me, I pass the people that say they're believers. There's levels to this. There's levels to favor and grace. Come on, somebody. Hello, hello, somebody. Don't you got levels to your checking account? Everybody got money, but there's levels to that. Hello, somebody. Everybody got influence, but there's levels to that. Come on, y'all don't want to play for that, baby. There's levels to this. We ain't seen one, one company that ever did me wrong that remained standing a year later. We don't know what's going to happen with people. Because I dare not say he do it to people, but you might want to look at some records. It's, 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 it's some folk out here that put their name, their words, their mouth on I remember the first time I ever got in trouble at church. I'm, I'm sidetracking, but this is a funny story. I'm going to tell you. I was, I was at Pastor Creflo Dollar's church, uh, World Changers. I was in the youth department, got super saved, bossing out in the youth church. I loved it. His boy kept teasing me. Every time I came in, he teased me. I mean, just teased me all the time. He always has, when I raise my hand, I ain't got to raise your hand, you know the answer. Just, just mocking me, all right? And so he was sitting in front of me, and I raised my hand. He turned around to say something smart. And I told him, until you do right by me, everything you touch is going to fail. <laughs> now, the catcher is, the children's church teacher told my mama and my daddy. And they was like, what are we supposed to do with that? <laughs> well, your daughter pretty much cursed this little boy. Did she say a bad word? No, she said whatever he did, when he put his hand to it, until she he would do right by her, it's going to fail. Now, my parents were like, well, what are we supposed to tell? Don't do that. So my, I got in the car. My mom and dad said, what you doing that color purple? Whatever you do, you do right by me. 
mommy made it a joke and she said you can't be telling people that i said well mommy what am i supposed to do because he just keep picking at me and i know the lord don't like that so i know the lord is going to defend me well you can't be telling people whatever they do they don't do right by you it's gonna fail now that's just not that's not right and i was like okay i'm sorry i felt really bad about it like, like maybe i got presumptuous and the keeping power of my god against this terrible little boy <laughs> till next sunday the little boy came in with a broken foot <laughs> on crutches. No! Uh, my mom and dad laughed so hard. <laughs> Ever since then, everybody in the family look at me side eye like. I wouldn't try it if I was you. I wouldn't even try. <laughs> I wouldn't try if I was you, and people do try me. You've seen some folk. Then you see what their life is right now. Oh, I'm telling you, you be like, I mean, it's okay, your life is okay, but they're really not the direction the past was trying to get you to go in. I really think that it would have been far better on that other track record over there. I, woo, woo. Now you'd be looking at yourself, I'm just glad I'm here. I'm happy to be here, I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> It could have been another way. <laughs> it could have, should have been another way. I cannot help when God anoints what he anoints. But I will declare that all power is in his hand. Hello? Amen. Amen. Okay, where was I? Show this. They went to prison. The people didn't know what to do with them, so they had to pretty much let them go. All right? Uh, they sent him in the name of Jesus was forbidden. Yes. Um, so they told, I told him, just, just, just leave and, and, and don't preach no more about that name. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them. This is chapter 4, verse 21 of Acts. Finding no way of punishing them because the pe of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. Let's go on down to verse 27. So at some point, the disciples leave going, they couldn't even touch us. Ow. They was like, you better just stop. They was like, and they had to let us go because of the power of God. Now there's something that happens in, in, in verse 23 through 20 uh, to, through 31. Let's look at this. So the, the disciples began to pray. When they meet back up with their companions, their fellow disciples and followers of Christ, they reported all that went down. Boy, let me tell you what they said. Let me tell you what they did. Let me tell you how they was like. And then Peter was like, and John was like, and we was like, and they was like, well, just don't do it no more. Right? Told them the whole story. Then they began to pray, and they recognized that this is a, a complete manifestation of what David had said years ago, many, many generations ago, that nations will rage and plot a vain thing, something they can't even do. They can't even stop it, but they'll still come together. The leaders and the nations will come together in order to stop the hand of God. And then verse 27 says, For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Stop right there. What? Surely these nations and the people of Israel gathered together to do whatever you, God, had already purposed 
beforehand to be done. If something doesn't go the way you anticipate, (laughs) if it doesn't go the way you so earnestly desire, the way that you see as a powerful move of God, come on somebody, if something doesn't go that way, are you capable of saying, I could see that this was and is what exactly what you wanted to do? Or do you somehow think that some enemy has done something against the will of God? Because in modern Christianity, we preach that somehow the enemy has done something against the will of God. Here's Jesus' enemies. Here's the Gentiles. Here's the Israelites. Here's the other nations. They were an enemy against God. And so now, God, let, get, let, give us strength to go get them. That's not what the saints prayed. They said, we see that you use them. Come on, somebody, to do your will. Come on, somebody, to do your manifest purpose. Y'all don't want to play fair today. You don't like to think that it was the will of God that that tragedy happened to you. You don't like to think that it was the will of God that they talked down to you got on your nerves told lies about you spread things and rumors and all you don't like to think that that was the hand of God no you much prefer to think that this was an enemy working against God oh this is this is a correction of thought because you can't be a royal priest with this misconception that somehow anybody gets to move without the sovereign will of God being done Hello, somebody. Now, now, the will of God is going to be done. But it didn't have to be that individual. If he wanted you persecuted, you're going to be persecuted. If he wanted somebody to give you an attitude, you're going to get that attitude today. If he wanted somebody's tire to blow out and hit your car, then you're going to get your tire. It may not be that person. Hello, somebody. It could be that the car beside you was another believer. And the Lord was like, no, pick somebody else. That one. <laughs> But if that, that was the will of God. What I'm trying to show you is that the acts of the saints understood that the greatest disappointment to their lives, the greatest tragedy that they ever seen, and the greatest victory were all in the hand of God. And this is not the enemy pushing against God as if he had any real authority, but this is God using their evil intentions the way a sovereign providential king would use it all and use all of their evilness and all of their wickedness and all of their good and get his purpose manifestly done. And the disciples came to this realization. They're like, we see nations raging, plotting against you to do your will. We see the enemy rising up to do your will. Y'all don't want to play. F- I'm, trying, I'm trying to uproot some subconscious thinking that we have. Come on, somebody. That somehow this enemy is coming against God. No, this enemy has been designed and their enemy status has been chosen and used by God for another purpose. I don't know what that purpose is as of yet, but oh God, you know what it is because this enemy is in your hands. My neighbor that's causing me problems. All I can do is say, Lord, you told me you'd restore all to me. Every house I gave up, every family member I left, you restored a hundredfold. And this day with persecution. So apparently this is definitely your hand. 
little thorn in my flesh. I don't know why, but I see you using her. Use her mightily. Use my enemy mightily. Use her mightily and then direct me on what you want me to do with it. Come on, somebody. I'm not going to move based off of my emotions. I'm not going to move based off of my anger. I'm not going to move based off of me because that's how they got on the other side of you. But instead, y'all don't want to play fair. See, I'm not going to I'm not gonna let my emotions dictate. I'm not going to let my flesh dictate because that's how they got on the other side of you. Y'all don't want to play fair today. The only reason that your enemy still being used by you, come on. The only reason that your enemy still being used by you, the only reason that your enemy still being used by you rather than your friend being used by you is they allow their emotions to go different than what you were doing. But what you were doing is going to be done regardless. So I can't let my emotions, I can't let my will start dictating how I'm going to respond to your enemy. And I mean your in the complete sense. Their evilness is plotted towards you and they are yours, used by you. That's your enemy. You hold them. They not running around rogue. Come on, somebody. They're held by you. Hello, somebody. Sick them, stop. Sick them, stop. Sick them, stop. Sick them, stop. That's your trained enemy right there. That's your trained enemy. And you just using their nature to get your will done. That's it. I got pets. I'm trying to teach my dog that I'm the alpha, I'm the ruler. He barks when I tell him to bark, and he don't bark when I tell him not to bark. He's of a different nature than me. Now, he can be favored in my eye if he does what I say. But if he decides to use his own will to do whatever he wants to do, he is no longer favored, but he's still mine. You're going to be in this crate, but you still mine. Come on, somebody. You, you ain't outside of my reach. Come on, I'm going to put my foot in your face, but you still mine. You, not gonna like, you ain't going to go nowhere till I say you can go nowhere. You ain't going to eat till I say you can eat because you're still mine. You're just not favored. So God's enemies, come on, somebody, are just that. His enemies in every way of the sense he owns them. But he uses their abhorrent nature for his will. Come on now. Woo! Woo! When my neighbor first started cutting up, I'm, new, I'm used to being meek. I was meek for several days. Went above and beyond. She did something else, pushed me again to my limit. So the Glenn said, do something. Nope, I'm not. We need to do something. Nope, I'm not, because I'm just used to being meek. And then one day I was walking in the house, and the Holy Spirit said, get her. <laughs> Say less. Tickety, 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 tickety. Tickety, tickety, tickety. Pastor, you shut up talking to me. Can't you see I'm doing the will of God right now? <laughs> he sent me after something. Holy Spirit said, they're going to chase you in the house that I gave you. 
that's not going to happen. You're not going to live here like you a renter. Come on, somebody. You're not going to live here like you a renter, that you got to try not to upset nobody. Baby, you ain't going nowhere. I'll move them before you go. So go ahead and get them. Get them and put them in their place. Get them and let them know, baby. This is your land. I gave it to you. They going to have to act right. Train them up, baby. Train them up. I said, it is with great honor that I do such a thing. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It don't happen very often. No, most times the Lord wants you to be meek. He don't want you to do nothing. When he said, well, now that's something I gave you. You don't play with that. You don't play with that. I said, hey, hey, I'm on it. Say less. I was surprised. I prayed again. You sure you want me to? Then I deleted it, came back to it. All right, Lord, let's get them. Let's get them. Ain't nobody tucking their tail. Hello, somebody. Ain't nobody hiding, trying not to disturb the HOA because I'm not a renter. Give me them guidelines. Let me follow all them guidelines. I don't have a problem following rules. What's the rules? That's a problem. No, I don't have a problem with that. You give me mercy on some rules, I'm great. I give you mercy. I don't have a problem with that. I ain't let you do whatever you But when you start trying to control. Mm-mm. You need to move your car. Mm-mm, not my land. I can move my car whenever I want to. You're going to have to be patient. Give me 10 minutes. No, you can't do that? I'll do whatever you need to do. Anyway, let's move on. See, I'm on tangents. Let me stay focused. <laughs> it don't happen very often that the Lord lets you d- d- fight against his enemy. All right, baby. Go. Yes. The enemy was set up for you. <laughs> Hello, somebody. Do you know when to stand up and take down? But there are two parts to training. Forward and stop. <laughs> Hello? Now, we never retreat. And sometimes you guys feel like if I can't go forward, then I'm retreating. That's not true. The Bible says stand and stand therefore. We never retreat. When training my dog, which is of another nature than me, I had to be trained that when it comes to them, I don't back up. I stand. Now, if standing in my alpha posture, because, you know, Roman's going to be 150-something pounds, they say, I have to train him now. If standing in my posture doesn't cause him to sit and stop, then I have to aggressively move towards him. But now... As soon as I stand, he humbles. Oh, no. His tail's still wagging, but he's like, nope, you is the master. You is, you is the master. (laughs) Waggle, waggle, waggle. I don't want no, I don't want no smoke. I don't want no smoke. I'm just a puppy trying to make it. (laughs) I don't want no smoke. (laughs) You running, I just got a little excited. My bad. That's exactly what he does. Amen. <laughs> He's sweet. <laughs> My little furry makes your family. I made me one. <sighs> All righty. Thank you, guys. Oh, thank you. I know they're not real kids, but, you know, it's the best I could do. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs>
you know, I tried to tell, I was telling Gabrielle the other day, it's just a dog. What you don't recognize is that this just a dog is providing something for me that if I had to go get it, I wouldn't be your pastor. So this just a dog is serving a part of me that I had to lose in order to serve you. Put some respect on my just a dog. It's just a servant, but it's my servant. He serves me. And that kissy, lovey, affectionate that you would get from a baby that I have to steal from Duke all the time. Hello? <laughs> but he serves me in the area of my heart as a woman that I forego, forewent, whatever you want to call it, to do the will of God. And that will benefits you. So put some respect on my puppy's names. Hello? They have a tough job of being there when you're not. Of protecting me when nobody else can. I live alone. Of licking off my tears when I'm crying. Put some respect on my furry babies. We know they're not the same. But they serve. They serve God well. They do. They do. Amen. All right. So the disciples recognized that when they performed miracles in Jesus' name, that it furthered the idea of what really happened and who he really was. And the more good that they did, it became more obvious who Christ was. People want to see miracles, modern miracles, but they don't have a desire to do good. He's not like that. Hello? You have the desire to do good. I used to tell people, you want healing for what? They're not supposed to ask me that. I'm sp I want healing because who wants to be sick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody wants to be sick, but why do you want it? Why, why, do, you, why do you want to be healed? I know one thing, Sister Hyacinth is going to have to be healed. Because anytime this church has to do something, she will go through Hades and high water to be wherever this church needs to be, to support whatever we got going on. So she'll do that sick, hello somebody, then God needs to bless her with healing so she could do it well. A little easier. Pastor, can you pray for my healing for what? She can go back out there and sin again? Suffer. You'll be all right. I got a cold. I got COVID. Well, you ain't going to die in Jesus' name. All right? But can you hurry up and help me get better? Can you pray that I get better faster? For what? Maybe you need to sit down. Contemplate some things. Pastor, I feel better, but my tests keep coming back positive. Mm -hmm. Maybe you need to sit down. <laughs> Contemplate some things. Hello, somebody. So they recognize that when we perform miracles, uh, this, that, that people then can't really touch us because we're doing good. They're, they're, they're befuddled about what to do. Then the next couple of verses, verse 27. 
Uh, chapter 4, for truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined to be done beforehand. They recognize that this thing, that this whole situation of persecution that has happened to us, that happened to you, it's because you used your enemies the way you wanted to use your enemies. Now, the thing here is, if we saw God's enemies trying to change our course and direction, would we recognize that God's will will still be done? Will we know that it's God or nothing at all? Or will we start figuring out if Satan had any real advantage? Because the thing I got about spiritual warfare and some of the people that practice spiritual warfare, which I agree with, is that they give far too much power and authority to Satan. They say they don't, but they do think that they are somehow responsible for pushing him back. And I never passed intercessory spiritual warfare class at my old church because I felt like when they said take on a spirit of warfare, for what? These is God's enemies. They do his bidding. We do his bidding. They just do it on a different nature than what he prefer. I have the nature born again of Christ. So I do his will willingly. They do his will unwillingly. But they do it nonetheless. So what do I look like fighting against God's enemies unless he tells me to fight against their enemies? But it ain't for victory because victory is already won. It's already done. I love to think about Peter and how Peter had a course he had to walk. Christ said, if you know that it's me, then come. And Peter got out of the boat. And nor have we ever seen another man do this, recorded, and walked on water toward Christ. The tempest began to rage. Storms on each side. When Peter began to look at the tempest, he started to sink. Now the thing here is, we discussed years ago, that that tempest was caused by Christ and we proved it. He had just lost John the Baptist, his cousin and forerunner. He was very angry and upset. And the water began to respond to the emotional state of Christ himself. But the water had to obey the will of God. What Peter didn't recognize is that if God tells you to come, come on now, and the tempest starts to rage, you don't need to rebuke the tempest. The tempest belongs to God. Y'all don't want to play fair today. If I tell you to come, come on somebody, then all you got to do it's come. Come on now. You just keep your eyes focused on me and you move through this thing and this storm starts raging and the enemy of God starts moving. And you if you start thinking that I need to concentrate on what Satan is doing, you're going to sink. But you focus on what God is doing. Because the only reason this enemy rose up in your life, the only reason this problem rose up in you, you know what I'm talking about. You know when God tells you to come here and go down a certain path, and it seems like as soon as you start walking down that path, all Hades starts breaking loose. Y'all ain't never been there before. As soon as I start going, it seems like my money gets funny, people start acting funny, things start falling apart, and you start looking at the tempest. You start wondering what I did wrong, and then you start sinking and wonder what happened, and did I hear God right? And now you're sinking. 
But if God told you to move in that way, then that's exactly the way you move. And you don't even care nothing about this storm because this storm belongs to God. These waves belong to God. And if he called them up, it ain't got nothing to do with me. Pastor, this would be a good Sunday for you to take off. Would it have been? Would it have been? Y'all be knowing what y'all be asking. Would it have been? But it seems like your storm has got a lot going on. Pastor, maybe you want to take off this Sunday. You got to unpack your heart, your blood pressure. Uh-huh. It's literally what I say. Uh-huh. Because I know you can't see what I see. All you're doing is focusing on the storm. Your aunt's in the hospital. Come on, somebody. Your cousins is distraught. Your neighbors is acting funny. Your house has got holes in it. Is they trying to repass this? The contractor's here. The dog's here. Your blood pressure's up. The church money is this. This person is suffering from that. Your mother's passing. Who, who can handle this much? You're only human. I know I'm human. I ain't trying to handle this. I'm trying to get there. Y'all ain't trying to play. Ain't nobody trying to handle these things. You think I'm trying to deal with this stuff? I can't deal with this. I'm focused on where I am going. And all I know is that Sunday at 11, that's where I'm supposed to be. I can't handle this. I even look at that. It rose up. That's God's business. What you gonna do? Whatever he tell me to do, he ain't tell me to do anything about that, so it's gonna have to stay there. I gotta keep going. Hello, somebody. Peter should have recognized that the waves obey Christ. The storms obey the Lord. Hello, somebody. They rise up because of him, and they cease because of him. Come on, y'all don't want to play fair today. Your problems rise up because of him, and they cease because y'all don't want to. Your enemies rise up because of him, and they cease. The reason this is hard is because you got a controlling spirit. If I tell you that God is in control of your problems, then you immediately feel powerless. Because you know you can't fight God. And that's the point. You feel helpless. You feel like you have to just, so just whatever he wants. Yes. So he can do whatever he wants to do with my life. You've never, born, never been born in anything different. You're just coming to the knowledge of this good but you're interpreting it as an evil based off of the waywardness of your soul. To those of us that have God and feel comforted and trust him, then when he says everything about your life is in my hands, we go, great. Thanks so much for that. At least I don't have to wonder about that. You go, it's in your hands, but how will I know? But is this part of your hands? What about this? Is this two in your hands? Okay, now when this happened, was that you? Or was that who? And so it's just a constant uncertainty versus mm, everything everything mm, everything mm, everything ooh everything so when i felt like this and i did that that was there because you put that there everything so i messed up because you put this in my path everything your mess up is your own insides but that being strategically there for you to mess up, 
That's him. Was not the tree of knowledge of good and evil planted in the garden? Mm. I, 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 I got to keep going. Hello? <laughs> you see, it's something about the insides of a person. The character. Huh? My dog, going back to dog training. He's got a new training system. They don't use treats. And they don't use reprimand. They, they teach you how to speak dog. And he said, if you can communicate with your dog, then they become well-behaved dogs versus dogs that just obey commands. There's a difference between being well-behaved and obedient. See, you don't want to be the saint that only knows how to answer a command. You want to be the type of saint that has been born again of a new nature. Come on, somebody. Has a new nature and a new spirit given to them by God. So what is the law? Because the law is for the unrighteous. Come on, somebody. It ain't about the command. I'm not trying to just obey. I'm trying to have a new nature. When the trainer told me, I said, I got that. I don't understand that completely. So now I have to show my dogs how we live. This is how we live together. So that I don't have to do many commands. But they begin to take on the nature in order to please the master. Y'all don't want to play fair today. They begin, I mean, what do we do? This is how we do. Roman comes in, and now he gives me his paws to be white, just like Bishop. This is what we do here. The big old mammoth of a dog, huh, give him my paw. And I don't have to force him, I just gently tap his paw, he go. He like, this is what we do here. This is how we live here. He got that from Bishop. This is how we do things. This is how we live. And in order to please the master, they want to do right. Because they see the master feeds them and the master waters them and the master plays with them and the master looks after them and protects them and watches over them. And all they want to do is be pleasing to the master. So tell me, how do we live? How do we live? There's a difference between being obedient and being well behaved. Or no, well mannered. Right? comes from a character. Christ came to give you the character or the spirit of God. Because before that, we couldn't have the nature of God. We could only be what? Oh, to a command. We could only be obedient to a command because our nature could not change. And now I got believers that just want me to give them rules on what to be obedient for. And I tell them this, these commands and these rules only work as a method to start teaching you his ways. But if by chance you just rely on the rule and don't want to develop a change of nature and heart. Like if I say don't talk to that person, then what I'm really telling you is there's something happening on the inside that makes talking to that person not very good for your insides with God because we can't live that way. If you don't start recognizing in your non-talking to that person what I mean and how you need to change your Size, then all you really want is obedience to commands. Your nature has not changed. And when God is moving, you won't even see him. When God shows up, you won't even know it's him.
And all you do is look for ways to get around the command. The well-behaved, well-mannered dog, and I hate to compare us to dogs, (laughs) but a soul nature is a soul nature. If I say, don't eat this treat that I sit on the ground, no, then as soon as I turn my back, what's going to happen? But if I show him how to live, if I show him that this is how we live, this is how we live together, this is mine and I put this treat here that is mine. You don't eat mine, I don't eat yours. That's how we live. So even when I turn my back, what do you think is going to happen? And he didn't. And he didn't. Because nobody that has any recognition that they've been brought to a new life wants to displease the one that has brought them new life. See, Roman came from living outside. Come on, y'all don't want to play. He lived out in a little shed. Hello, somebody with some gates. Hello. Then he been brought into a nice plush sofa and couches and covers. He just like, mm, it's nice. And so when I say this is how we live together, he go, okay. That's how we live. All right, I'm for it. What, what else you want me to do? Sit? Okay. Hey, hey, hey. Look at me. I'm sitting. Look at me. This is how we live here. Because anybody that's been brought from death to life has an affinity for the one that they see keeping them in this type of way. Come on, somebody. He'll keep you in the way is what I'm trying. The disciples said they threatened us and told us that we had to stop preaching in your name. We don't know what those threats are going to do. Because I thought when they threatened them, they were like, whatever, we're winning. God's going to win. It's not true. They said, we know that these enemies of yours were in your hands. But we also know that you want us to preach the gospel now to save your enemy. You use the enemy for your will because they're yours too. Come on, somebody. You use their abhorrent nature for your will because they belong to you also. Come on, y'all don't want to play fair today. Now that you've used them for what you needed to do in that nature, you desire to save them from that nature. And you want to use us who have been saved from that nature to then call them to salvation from that nature. And we know that it is going to be difficult to now turn this engine that is pushing them into more darkness. So the disciples pray, give us boldness. Because the only thing that is giving them pause is when they see the goodness of God against their evil deeds. When they see the goodness of the Father against their selfish hearts. When they see the mercy of God against their selfish desires. When, when we say that you crucified him, but he desires to forgive you. You brought him to shame, but he desires to forgive you. You denied him, but he wants to save you. Then, 
Now they can't. This is the only thing that could. And in order for us to tell them that, then, then they're already against us. This train has, has left the station. And it is full speed ahead trying to destroy anybody that upholds the name of Jesus. So in order to say, hey, but he wants to save you too, somebody has to stand in front of that bullet. Somebody has to stand in front of that train. Somebody has to say, hey, stop. You don't have to keep doing this. He got up. He rose from the dead. He ascended. Why keep this anger? Why keep this unbelief? Why keep this disbelief? The temple is gone. The sacrifices is done. Hey! And they stand in front of the gun. They stand in front of the bullet. They stand in front of the train. And they, and they know that we need boldness to do this because the evil has momentum. And somebody has to sacrifice in order to stop the momentum of secularism. But in order to do that, we'll be persecuted. In order to stop the train that says gay and lesbian relationships is fine, you'll be persecuted. In order to stop the train that says get high every day, you'll be persecuted. Or now you holy. I remember when you used to smoke weed. In order to stop the train of promiscuity, you're going to get persecuted. Stop the train of laziness gluttony you're going to get persecuted hello somebody in order to stop it the same train that you were on you got to then stand in front of the train and now you have to cry out but he wants to save you too and hope that it stops before it hits you but if it hits you thy will be done the disciples said we need boldness because we know that this was a part of your plan. Your enemies were used by you. Then we know that you then commissioned us to go and save these very people. I know you're going to win. I know you're going to win. But it doesn't stop me from hesitating to jump. I know I got to leap. I gotta run in front of this thing, but it doesn't stop me from hesitating. I know you're gonna be there. I know you're gonna catch me. I know you're gonna be on the other side. I know you're gonna be with me, but just the thought of what I have to give up, y'all don't wanna play fair. Just the thought of what I'm gonna have to face, just the thought of what lies on the other end of this threat, just the idea of what my life might look like, it gives me a pause and a hesitation that I just don't wanna have. Give me boldness. What the saints are praying for is courage. I talked to Mother Bell this morning. And she said, I, I'm concerned about what God may want from my sister. I believe him, but also I'm concerned that he may want something that I don't want. And as my aunt and the mother of this church, I said, Mother Aunt Bell, what you need is courage. I said, courage is what you have in spite of fear. 
I'm afraid God may want what I don't want, but I will take courage. Come on, somebody. You need courage. He may very well want what I don't want. Come on, somebody. But I will take, in spite of this fear, I will yet believe. Let me tell you a funny joke. We got to go. Too many jokes. Okay. Your pastor can't spell. Y'all know this. Can't spell for a lick. She can't spell, and apparently everybody thinks I have terrible handwriting, and I do too. But they think my handwriting is the worst thing about me, and I feel like it is not, but they think it is. I think my feet are uglier than my handwriting, but they say no, they just skinny. Nevertheless, I can't spell for nothing in the world, all right? Not a good speller. I read a lot, but I just don't pay attention to the placement of letters. <laughs> But nevertheless, so I was trying to write the sermon, and I was writing. No, before that, I was trying to text Mother Bell. I was texting, you got to have courage in spite of fear. I tried to write the word in spite. Did you, did you okay? I tried to write the word in spite. Okay, there's not a word called in spite. It's two words. Did you already know that? See, I didn't know that. I, say, so that I would say, oh, yeah, some of y'all didn't know it either. I was like, in spite, I-N-S-P-I-T-E, duh. E-N-S-P-I-T. In spite. I didn't spite. So I looked it up, and it's two words in spite. Duh. Right? Duh. I know. I know. Okay. But when I saw it broke up in two words is when I realized how important it is to know that it's two words. Because I know what it means to spite. Y'all don't want to play fair today. I know what it means to spite someone. You know, and if you don't know what it means to spite someone, I had to look. It's a desire to hurt or annoy or offend someone. I have an earnest desire to get on your nerves. So when I say you have to take courage in spite, come on, Johnson. You have to have the kind of courage that says, I desire to get on the nerves of fear. I desire to make to aggravate fear. I desire to aggravate the mess out of fear. I desire to aggravate doubt. I desire to aggravate loneliness. I desire to I just want to aggravate in spite of. I'm going to take courage in spite of. I'm going to aggravate fear. I'm going to annoy it with my persistent belief. I may not change the course that God wants, but I will aggravate. I will annoy fear. Oh, you think you can do something? You can't do anything. You can't do anything but God, what God wants. You're nothing but a dog on his leash. You're just used to do his bidding. You're just unwillingly doing his bidding. Oh, I'm going to annoy the crap out of you. My God can do anything and you're not more powerful than my God. My God is all truth and all powerful. You can't do nothing in spite of him. So I don't know what God's will is, but I will spite the mess out of fear. Lord, your will be done, but I'm going to spike the mess out of these lies. I'm going to spike the mess out of Satan's plans. I'm going to just annoy him with my persistence. <laughs> Sit on down. What if that was our approach to faithful living? That we know everything is in God's hands. Who he's going to use, and if it had to be us like Judas, I don't know if it had to be you, Judas, 
to betray him. Could have been somebody out there. We needed to be you. But the will of God was going to get done. You don't want to have the spirit that you, God uses that's against him. You understand? You want to have the spirit that goes with him. But either way, right? Like your mama say, I know what your friend's doing. What they got to do with you? I know what they was doing. You, you in the father's house. Well, everybody does something wrong. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that's them. I'm not their daddy. So now what if we took the, the, the perception of that I'm going to let God be gone, but I'm going to annoy the heck out of this fear that is trying to overwhelm my heart. That's trying to tell me that my aunt's not going to make it. That's God's business. So what I'm going to do just to get on your nerves, I don't believe that God can. He can. He can. He can pick her up. He can. He can do it two times. He can do it three times. He can pick her up as many times as he want to pick her up. He can make sure she's not going to be paralyzed. He can. He can. He can. He can. He can. And if he don't, ain't got nothing to do with you. It's God or nothing. It's God or nothing. It's God or nothing. It ain't got nothing to do with you, death. It's God or nothing. That's them his keys. Come on, somebody. Ain't got nothing to do with you. They pray for boldness. To stand in spite of fear. Ah, it's time to God. This is gonna stop. This is gonna stop All right. Verse 32. Last, last couple of verses. Now, the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked for all were possessors of lands for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. And they distributed to each as anyone had need. So the disciples prayed for boldness. And then the multitudes. Now, at this point, we've already counted the 150 disciples or so that were in the upper room, the multitudes that's been following Jesus, and then the 3,000 that were saved through Peter on the day of Pentecost, and the 5,000 when the man was healed in the temple. So now we've got about t- almost 10,000, 20,000 folk. That's a lot of people. All right? Just in this one scenario. These, these people are selling their stuff, their houses and their lands, and they're coming and they're just giving the money and putting it at the apostles' feet. You do with whatever you think it needs to be done with it. Now, I know some of y'all thinking, whew, I could never. Let me tell you something. There are people in here that have already done that. If you think this is some New Testament thing, that somehow it doesn't apply to you, I'm here to tell you people are already living it, have sold houses, and left the money here at the church. Have gotten contracts, paychecks, gave all right at the pastor's feet. Said do with it whatever you think needs to be done. Distribute it to whatever has need. So that just blows your idea that that's just a New Testament thing. And these same people are still eating, 
still have a roof over their head, you wouldn't even know it that they did it. Wouldn't even know it. But they did. So the idea that there's certain things that were done here that you can't do now, it's completely something you made up to stop you having to answer to God about obedience. You made it up. Hello, somebody. It goes on to say that there was a man named Joseph who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement. A Levite in the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, this is a unique verse because we already said that other people was doing it. But now we want to highlight the fact that it was a Levite and that his name, he was called by the apostles. That's a son of encouragement. Do you know that when you decide to give freely to the work of God, that it is encouraging to the apostles and the builders of the kingdom? You're not just giving so you can get something. You're giving to say, keep doing what you're doing. Stand firm with God. Keep serving God. Keep preaching the gospel. Keep doing this. Keep doing that. Because the opposite is, if you don't want to give, you don't want to be here, then you don't want it to grow, then why am I wasting my time? It'd be different if you was living perfect. I mean, some, to me, some of the most sinful, laden folk in here be the, be the ones that don't even give. I'm, I think if you're going to be down bad, at least give. Like, look, I'm not right, but you need to keep preaching so that I can get right. That's what your money should say. I'm not, I'm not where I need to be, but you need to keep doing what you're doing so that I, you can help me get to where I need to be. That's what you're supposed to be saying. When you do down bad, then you want to get stingy. You want to critique everything you think I might be doing with the money. And then you'll be wrong. You'll be so wrong. You don't know the half of how stuff get done here. You don't, you don't even know. Hello, somebody. Mm -hmm. Nevertheless. So the son of encouragement, a Levite. Now, it is well known that the Levites, as a tribe, were not given their own land allotment, right? You know, the Zebulun tribe, they got something. You know, Judah, they got something. Everybody got their own land as a tribe, right? The Levites were not given a land allotment. But what they were promised was they could have a space in every city of every tribe. So they'll make land, a common land for the Levites, in every city. So every tribe had to have a city, and the city had to have a place for just the Levites. That was their common land. They lived there. And then they had to extend some of the cities for anybody that had to be cast out of a town. You went and lived with the priests. If you slay a man, you live with the priests. That's where you go. You do down bad, you can't be with regular folk, you go live with the priests. That'll stop all of that. You're getting leprosy every other day. <laughs> Hello? Living with the priests. It's something when you live with the priests. You get invited to the priest's home, you want to cut up, stuff happens. You don't anticipate. Might get leprosy. Called COVID, I'm scared. <laughs> priests be fine. <laughs> You be sick. <laughs> all right, got to go. <laughs> got that vid, man. All right, all right. 
<laughs> Nevertheless, so the, the, the Levites didn't have their own land allotment. But look at the glory of God where priests were ordained to dwell in the midst of every tribe. Every land that was given, priests were designed to live there, to serve God and to serve man. And this land was theirs, right? Now, they could buy land within their land allotment in their city. And on the year of Jubilee, they were automatically given their land back if they had to sell it. Let's say he had no money. He had to sell his land. Y'all don't want to play fair today. He had no money, so he had to sell his land. Come on, somebody. But considering he's a priest, in seven years, he's going to get that back regardless. Y'all don't want to understand the benefits of being a priest. Come on, somebody. Even if I got to give up certain things. Hello. Even if I got to sell this and lay this at the apostles' feet. If I'm ever in need of anything, don't worry. It's going to come right back to me. It was promised by God. Perpetually theirs. Perpetually. And anybody after them. If granddaddy sold the land and great-grandkid needed it, Go back on a year of Jubilee, it's great-grandkids. What a beautiful sentiment about the royal priesthood and perpetually having the land that belongs to God. In every city, in every nation, priests hold land. I think it's right that the Lord bought me a house as we study royal priesthood this year. Perpetually yours. If you have down bad times, you want to sell it? It'll be yours. It'll be yours. It's beautiful. So when this Levite sold this land, gave the money to the apostles. Now what is also encouraging about this is you're a Levite. You're into the law. The sacrificing of sheep and goats and birds, and grain. You're of the elders and the Sadducees. If you follow us, you no longer have a function. And so thus he says, and here is the money from my land. I no longer need to dwell in this city because he is making all of us royal priests. Come on, come on, somebody. So then they say, you are an encouragement to us. That if you can see it, who everything about what you were called to do has now changed with the truth. There's sometimes where God has called you to something and everything about your life has to change. How he lived every day changed. One of the hardest things about delivering our brothers and sisters from gay and uh, lesbian relationships is that sometimes they can be so inundated in, in, in that lifestyle that all their friends and all their family and their sense of community is there. And now they have to change everything about how they live. In some way, shape, or form, it has to be adjusted. And they have the hard time adjusting that, as anybody would. But this man here is a son of an encourager. He says, my life is changing. Everything about it is changing. I'm giving up where I used to live, where I used to go, the routine that I used to have. Hello, somebody. And it's different. That's hard to do. And it can be, an, if you do it, it can be an encouragement to someone else. Yeah. One of the hardest things to do is trying to learn how to live again after everything got turned upside down. But when you do it, 
It's an encouragement to some, y'all don't want to play fair today. So you lost everything and now you rebuilding. You lost, your life was upside down and now you're trying to learn how to live again. You lost your mom, you lost your dad, you lost this, you lost that. Now you're trying to refine, my God. It becomes an encouragement, amen? So in this process, chapter five shows up. When everyone's sharing everything, Laying it at the apostles' feet, the apostles making sure everybody has stuff. They were like, look, ain't none of this stuff matter. What really matters is God or nothing. God or nothing. Who needs something? Here, I got to sell this. Divide it. I'll just, all I need is this. You can have that. We, can, we good. Right? That's what they were doing. I don't need all this extra stuff. It's fine. Take it. Use it. People were coming into church like crazy. Can you imagine? They heal the sick and they give you money. They find out you got a need, they help you. Hello? People still do that to this day. They got a need, the first place they go is to church. It's my responsibility to try to find a way to meet some of that, if not all of that. Hello, somebody. Because that's what it's designed to do. We're waiting for people that don't need stuff. Everybody needs something. And this is where you come. And when you see the miracle of how God supplied this need and so many others, you too will be a believer. It says the goodness of God leads people to repentance. Maybe you don't want to do right. Maybe you don't like obedience. Obeying God. You don't understand why you have to obey. You don't understand why you have to, you can't do that and you can't do this. And why can't I love the way I want to love? And why can't I drink a little bit? And why can't I? And and maybe that's hard for you to fathom. But I'm pretty sure you know how to love. And when he pours out his heart to us, don't try to break eye contact with me. Uh Uh-uh. When he pours out his heart to us, we learn how to love. Not obey. To love him. That's where you're getting stuck. Because you could know that if I obey, I'll always get it wrong so I don't have to try so hard. But you and I both know you know how to love very well. You just don't want to fall in love with him. But you should. You know how you get when you're in love. You'll fight anybody for that person. You'll do anything for them. You'll give anything, be anywhere they want you to be. I, every last one of my members love hard. You know how I know? Because I do the same thing. The only hiccup between you and I is you're trying to obey rather than fall in love. Because God is what? Love. So what nature do you think you were supposed to be born of? Love. You don't know how to love him. And every time you sin is a reflection of your unwillingness to love him. Your fear in loving him. The walls you have in loving him. Oh, I'm preaching better than y'all acting today. A reflection of that. Ananias and Sapphira, I think is what, no, no, not Ananias. Ana, let me find it. What is it, chapter five? Ananias and Sapphira, yeah, his wife. Uh, they sold their possession. 
And the husband kept back a part of it for himself. But he laid it at the apostles' feet, saying that he sold it for such an amount that he laid at their feet, not saying that he kept back a part. So when Peter, when he lays it at his feet, Peter confronts him in chapter 5, and he says something very unique. He says, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to get back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? After it was sold, was it not your, on your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Stop right there. I think we're going to close on this point. Because we got to go. Because you ain't lied to men, you lied to God. Now this, this didn't make sense to me. Because I was thinking, God knew he was lying already. Do you understand? Like, God knew. He kept apart. So, how could he lie to God? That's not the, that's not the point. Just because somebody know you're lying, don't mean you ain't lying. I know you're lying but it doesn't stop you from lying, right. right? But what he's really trying to show, Peter is saying, the land was yours. It was your land. When it was yours, it was yours. When you sold it, the money for it was yours. You could have kept all the money for yourself. Right. He's bringing to mind, why did you come and lay it at the feet of the apostles? Yeah. What he's trying to show here is you felt, because I'm thinking, well, who did he lie to? Peter was trying to say, I didn't ask you to bring me this money. Hello, somebody. What you felt was God telling you on your inside what to do. Come on, y'all don't want to play fair today. And then on your inside, you decided to lie to God and tell him that you are doing what he told you to do when you, in fact, know you're not doing fully what he told you to do. He said, you ain't lying to me. You're lying to God because God told you and you felt it yourself because you had every right to stay over there, to keep doing that, to keep that land, to live how you wanted to live but you felt on your insides that God wanted you to do differently so you ain't lying to me you're lying to God Peter said it's God or nothing baby you think you disobeying me you felt this in your heart before I even said it now you thinking you finessing the situation not telling the whole truth. You keeping back part of the truth for yourself. I ain't lie, Pastor. I just didn't say everything. <laughs> you ain't lying to me. I ain't the one that put that desire in your heart. I'm not the one that said, I need to get my life together. I'm not, I, didn't, I didn't tell you to do that. You felt that on your own. You felt like I need to stop smoking vaping. I need to stop smoking weed. I need to, and you came and said it to me before I even said it to you. And then when you fall short, it ain't me. Well, Peter is trying to say we can't build a church with any soul that don't want to live honestly before God himself. Come on, somebody. Come on. Hello? Bad character is a result of us lying to God. Y'all don't want to play. See, when I come and tell you, yeah, I sold the land for such and such on the outside. I look like I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah, 
but on the inside, come on somebody, where nobody can see, on the inside, the things that I withhold from God, on the inside, this is where character really is. And that character is a direct reflection of how you lie to God on your insides. Even if nobody saw it. Nobody saw you call that number you weren't supposed to call. Now you want to confess like, well, I just want to let you know, yeah, I did, I did Facebook message this person. What am I going to do? I'm not the one that told you you shouldn't have on your insides. You know God told you. You ain't had no business sending that message. You ain't had no business making that phone call. You ain't need to go drive by there. You know God told you that. Now you want to act like you're doing some grand gesture by laying it at my feet. You don't get the exuberant response you expect from me. Because I can say on the inside, something ain't right with that. What God was trying to prove to all those that were witness, you can't build no church with people that lie to God on the inside. You want to know why this church is stagnant? Because you show that you're being obedient. But you keep back apart for yourself every time. You justify, well, I said I was going to do this, but this technically this is the same as that. And this is kind of like that. And I, mm-hmm. You want to know why people ain't, ain't hearing the anointing in your voice when you ask them to come to church? Because you're keeping apart from your, for yourself. A way that it serves you. You can't build a church with that. He's not going to let you build this church. You can give money. But you, they, they never gave the money back. But you won't take part in winning souls. Because you've got bad insides. It's a character thing. It's character. You know, like when we noticed that he forgot to scan the water on the bottom. Should I say something? Nah, I ain't going to say nothing. It looked like you paid for it on the outside. But on it, but you know, on the, come on somebody, character. It looked like you being obedient because technically you didn't. But you know what the other part, character. It looked like since pastor didn't say not to, but you know God been dealing with you about doing it just like this, character. You can't build God's church with bad character. It doesn't work. It's God or nothing. It's God or nothing. The size of this church is indicative of the nature and the character of its followers. Because there's a lot of hurting people out there that need people with good what? Say it louder. So this means they ain't seeing or sensing good character from you. No matter what you display, you just look like death. And it's probably true. When you got bad character and stuff go wrong, the first thing you think about is what wrong you did. And that puts a wrinkle in your furrow, your fur eyebrows and your shoulders hang low and, oh, my life is terrible. Ain't nobody more miserable than a Christian that keeps sinning. Everything about how they look at their life is terrible. Now, you had the same problems when you wasn't sinning. But you saw nothing but the hand of God every week. 
Hello? Yeah. Every week you try to hand to God, but when you start messing up, doing stuff on the inside God told you not to do, yeah. don't look at me. It's in you. Yeah. Now everything is negative. Everything is bad. Everything is horrible. My life ain't going in the direction. I don't like this. I don't like that. It don't seem like I can't ever catch a break. I can't ever get ahead. I can't ever blah, 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 blah. Don't nobody want your Jesus. It's you. You're carrying the weight of the world like every other sinner. Why would they want Jesus from you? You have no boldness. You stop in front of no train. You just hop on and ride it too. They see no difference in your life. They sense no peace. So Janari recognize everywhere I go, babies and pets love me. I just tell people, oh, my baby never is those, no, she's never so talkative to strangers. Oh, he never really acts like this with, with people he doesn't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm Santa Claus to them. I am. Babies and animals, pets, Santa Claus. They don't know why. And even adults. Your smile. I just feel like Jesus walked in the room. You don't even know me. I just feel like peace when you can't, there's something about your vibe, your, your whole vibe, your, or Santa Claus, kind of, I represent God, you feel, you feel the godliness, it's either going to rub you one or two ways, you're either going to be super calm and excited and hopeful, or you're going to be angry and bitter and agitated. This is your call as well. To people that are of God or need to be of God, they're drawn to you. To people that are not wake up, then they're repulsed by you. This should make more sense. So you don't take it personal. Hello, somebody. In essence, you can't live a lie with God. Hello, somebody. So when Ananias dropped dead right then, his wife came in. Knowing what he had done regarding the keeping a part back from the from the apostles, so when Peter asked, uh, "So is it true that your husband sold the land for this amount of money?" she kept the lie going. She dropped dead too. Now this 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 confused me, all right? Because the fear came upon everybody at that point. Everybody heard the story. Everybody saw it. It was like, whatever you do, don't mess with them apostles. All right. Not only did they raise people up. But you can also drop dead if you lie. And who don't lie? You know what? I'm not going to fool up with them. So nobody else became an apostle after this. They was like, uh -uh, I, ain't, I don't know what that is. I'm not fooling up with that. So yet none of the rest dared to join them, uh, but the people esteemed them highly. By the time we get to verse 14 of chapter 5, and the believers were increasingly added to the Lord, Multitudes of both men and women. So that people kept bringing the sick. People kept coming to Christ. Kept getting saved. It was beautiful. But nobody wanted to be an apostle. They were like, mm-mm. That? That's, I don't know what that is. That man just dropped dead. Then his wife dropped dead. And you knew she was going to drop dead. And then she did. I don't know. I don't, I don't know about that. That's what was going on. Yes? The high priest rose up. And everything is going good. Then the highest priest rose up, rose up and said, you know what? We've got to put a stop to this. 
imprisons John and Peter again, all right? Puts them in prison so they can figure out what to do. The angel of the Lord comes, releases them from prison, tells them to go back to the temple, teach and preach some more, which they did. Remember, they prayed for boldness. Now, I forgot to mention this. When they prayed for boldness that day, when they were released from the Inquisition, they prayed for boldness. The entire earth shook. They began to preach with boldness, right? Then that's when people started having unity of mind and heart, bringing all their things, laying it at the feet. Everybody was like, it's God or nothing. We don't care nothing about this stuff. It's all about Jesus. That's what, that was the method, all right? That's when Ananias and Zephyr died, right there for lying to God in their hearts. They were supposed to obey him, and they didn't. They obeyed in part, which is disobedience. And God wasn't going to let them build his church with bad character and lying on the inside. Hello? Mm-hmm. So then the priest rose up again, imprisoned them. The angel of the Lord comes, releases them, right? Tells them to go and stand in the temple. Verse 20 says of chapter 5, and speak to the people all the words of this life. They were told to go and preach what living is really about. Now, the reason this is important is because when you get to verse 32, and we are his witnesses to, the, to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. He, they go back and preach. All right? The angel of the Lord comes, says, get out of the prison. Go, go back to the temple, start preaching. And preach them the words of this life. Teach them how to be saints. Teach them how to live now. Go back and talk about what types of things happen to a believer and how they're supposed to stand. Show them what it means to be a priest now after the order of Melchizedek. Tell the Levites that they are no longer have that position but another position and the sacrifices are different. Show it to them. Talk to them about persecution. Talk to them about the power of God. Talk to them about standing. Talk to them about good character. Talk to them about living for God. Teach them the words of this life. That's our job, right? Yeah. He goes on to say, and he says, and we are, so he goes out and he starts preaching, and they say, we are witnesses to these things, that you guys crucified the Christ. But he got up, he rose from the dead, and he wants to forgive you of your sins. And so also the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. I want to stop on this last point. Because what, we've, what we have to see here is that when it comes to the Holy Spirit, Everybody is dead without the Spirit of God. Ananias and Zephyr, who lied, withheld apart from God, tried to convince God that they did exactly what they were supposed to do, but he knew, right? That's not what I instructed you to do, right? Drop dead. Like they were on, his wife was even on borrowed time. If you're going to tell the truth and admit, that you really disobeyed God, or are you still gonna try to act like you didn't feel him? Are you still gonna try to act like you didn't sense him? Because a believer that cannot feel or sense the spirit of God, one, isn't a believer, and two, if you can feel the spirit of God and you refuse to move, you're no longer needed in building the kingdom of God. I'm trying to preach, y'all will help me. Y'all that sleeping, I didn't cut the lights back on. How are you needed in the kingdom of God? 
give me that breath. Instantly. You're done. You're done. Borrow time. It's God or nothing. It's his way or no way. Because there's no other way that exists. You're either willingly doing what he wants or unwillingly doing what he wants. But there is no other way. I'm, I'm boring y'all half asleep. I can tell I am. I am. I am. I am. It's all right. Go ahead and take a nap. Take a nap. I'm almost done. I'll wake you when I get finished. Seriously. Here we go. I'm, I'm almost done. I'll wake you up. We'll get somebody to nudge you. What we recognize here is that the Holy Spirit was given to us. There is no life apart from that. Everything else is either dying beautifully or dying ugly, but it's still dying. The only way that you can remain alive is if he gives you his spirit. If he doesn't give you his spirit, then you can't remain alive. Hello? Oh, I can't preach this the way I'm feeling it. Uh, it's like breath. Without it, you cease to exist. Right? You don't exist without breath. Spirit, pneuma, comes from that same word, breath. So the spirit of God is the breath of God. It's what we know allows us to live. He's saying, if you don't have my Holy Spirit, if you don't have me, you're not going to remain alive. So the only way you could remain alive or be alive is if I put my spirit in you. If my spirit is not in you, then you will cease to exist. So when you decide to lie to God, you are rejecting his spirit. And now, now all you do is sinking into more sin. Y'all been there. You, not, you start lying to God on the inside, then you seems like you just keep a snowball of more things you do wrong and, and a more snowball of more depression and, and a snowball of more sorrow and a, and a snowball of more uh, oppression and, and bad thoughts and, and bad feelings. And, and Why? Because you're dying with your silly self. You cannot reject God from your insides and expect to be alive. You're just telling us you want to go back to your original state. And how many times do you have to die and feel death in order to recognize you don't want to feel that no more? Yes. The heart don't take. When, when Pastor Sharon was in the hospital, I mean, she's still in the hospital, but when I went to visit her, held her hand, I sung a song. I'm always singing. Can't sing. She can sing. But what I told her, I, her, her kids are on their way. Marshawn was already here, but the rest of her babies was on their way from Jersey. She started moving. She started trying to get up, take tubes out, talk, and her heart rate spun up. Nurses came rushing in. It took about 30 minutes to calm all of her system back down. She kept saying, you can't excite her. You can't excite her like that. Because what we don't want is a lot of up and down, up, and y'all don't want to. She said her, her system can't handle the up and down, up and down. Oh, come on, somebody. There's somebody in this room. I don't know how long it's going to take you to realize you're not good at up and down and up and down and up and down. And all you need to do is really let God have all of you and you'll be an even kill individual. But you're fired up for God, then you're down to the lowest of lows and fired up for God and lowest of lows and fired up for God and lowest of lows. Aren't you tired yet? 
got to be tired. Your faith can't endure that type of pushing. It was never meant for that. It was never designed for you to be enlightened and fall away. It was designed that you'll be transformed with the love of God, breathing in new life, breathing in new perspective, coming to church and hearing, oh, so that's what the enemy is about. And, oh, that's how this kind of stuff works. And that's why my life is doing that. And, that's why I see that now. And you're breathing in a new life. You're not supposed to go up and down like this. Supposed to hear God tell you to do something and let Him have the full space of you, not part. Because that part starts creeping in more sin and it starts spiraling you downward. Don't you see it? You do one thing wrong, you present it with the next thing. You do that one wrong, then the next thing. Then you start getting hopeless. Anybody ever been there? Huh? Um, but, but there's always a way out. Come on, somebody. I remember one time I lied, and I saw myself lie. And the person was long gone, and I couldn't make it right. I was like, Gah! some stranger. I go, I lied. I, so, sorry, sorry. Another opportunity came, and I could feel that I wanted to throw something out the car window. Some litter. Now, I'm opposed to littering, but I hated having all this trash in my car. Hello, somebody. And I was like, it's just a little piece of paper. It ain't going to matter. And this is what my self-told self. I said, first you're going to lie. Now you a litterer. I put that piece of paper right back in my car. I said, you know what? We is not going to be on no spiral to no worthlessness. Now, your standard may be different, but I'm just showing you how you can put a break on that. Come on, y'all don't want to play fair. I may have missed this one, but I'm not going to miss the next one because I'm not trying to be that person. And this thing is not going to start spiraling downward. I need it to lift up. I need to be a son of an encourager. Put the brakes on it. Stop that thing from getting out of control. Obey God fully like you're designed to. Because ain't nobody got time to go high and go whoa, really low. Just, ooh, 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 ooh. Not. And I try to tell you, nobody wants your life. My job is not to give you your spiritual life a rocket ship. I try to get you at one level. And then God brings tops and turns and, and it should push you to the next level. And I got to teach you how to live at that altitude. And then he brings problems, and it should push you to the next level. Huh? Then I teach you how to breathe at that altitude. Come on, somebody. But at the same time, I'm doing the same thing myself. So now I'm here, and you're there, and we're doing this. And I learned this, and you go here, and we're doing that. Do you understand what I'm saying? But somebody teach you how to live at that level. What are the words of this life? And some of y'all are not living at the level that you've been taught. You've been taught better. When you first came in, you wasn't smoking cigarettes. You wasn't vaping. You let go of weed. You stopped sexing around. You felt bad about porn. You cut it off. What are you doing down there? That's not how we live in this house. We have good character. We do things in spite of fear in spite of fear. I'm not going to be chased by my need to have children, sex, and hormones. I'm going to buy a puppy. And I'm going to love on this puppy. 
and he's going to love on me. I'm not going to be pushed in my emotions to spiral out of control. But I will serve God faithfully. And you are being taught the same. If you don't grow, you're dying. And don't you want to grow in the right stuff? What difference does it make to grow in everything that's perishing? So you gather a lot of dead things. Why don't you sell those dead things so we can actually do some live things? Oh, look at you. You have a collection of dead things. Or do you want to sow into something that produces life? Standing all over the house.